Hey, Chrissy here. I am a landscape architect and the owner of Kismet Design. I am a very process-driven designer, and I love sharing what I do and how I do it with anyone who's interested. Reaching your true potential and achieving your own personal goals will not happen by chance. You have to set your intentions, make a plan, and do the work. Thank you for joining me to nerd out on design. Don't forget to subscribe and to share too. Let's create something great together. This week's topic is confidence. We discussed brand previously, and confidence is a really important part of your brand and is a key ingredient to success and to happiness. Confidence is an evolution to us all. We all start as kids brimming with confidence, excited and fearless to explore the world. Through our lives and experiences, we learn fear and we learn judgment and expectations. And all of that can build up or break down our confidence. Everyone's journey is different, but our experiences and relationships shape the way we view the world and our place in it. But what is confidence? The definition I think that fits the best is that confidence is a state of feeling certain or a feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities or qualities. The part of that definition that I love the most is the appreciation of one's own abilities. You must appreciate what you are capable of to be confident in it. If you are internally insecure, but try to act confident to the outer world, it is often perceived as egotistical. Sometimes this is labeled with the word confident, but I think we all know that there's a difference. It's like the difference of someone trying to impress and gain admiration and approval versus someone being themselves, knowing that they will be okay, regardless of admiration or approval of others. Some people just move through the world differently. There is a very attractive and charismatic energy to someone with true confidence. And I think that's what we all want and strive for. Confidence level as a person and as a professional don't always reflect each other either. It will even vary based on the task. My confidence level talking about designing a bluestone patio will be very different from when I'm talking about designing a rooftop garden. I've only designed one rooftop garden, and there are so many factors I don't know well enough to be confident with the idea. Very early on, when I was just learning drafting, I was not a very confident person and was very shy and often unsure. But my passion for design, drafting, and creativity opened a door for me. Sitting at a drafting desk is the place that has always felt most like home. Once I found drafting, my passion and confidence flourished. I know that many of you know exactly what I mean. We often have very counterproductive thoughts that we should be good at everything, and if we aren't, it's a failure. Or those fraudy feelings where you second-guess yourself and wonder if you're good enough. That is so far from the truth. We cannot all be good at everything, and each of us has our own unique skills, passions, and ambitions. I believe confidence is a product of leaning into your strengths rather than focusing on how to improve your weaknesses. 
For designers, confidence is key in their ability not only to be successful, but to be profitable and efficient. The art of knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know is important. Decisiveness equals efficiency, which will allow you to be more profitable. The more profitable you are, the more joy you will find in the work that you do. Nothing is worse than money stress. Confidence is built over time through experience. The first time you designed a water feature, for example, you may have had more questions than ideas, but something within you pushed you to say, yes, I can do this. And yes, I can figure out what I don't yet know. Each time you do that, you grow and it builds your skills and the inner knowing that you not only can do that thing, but you can step out of your comfort zone and learn new things and figure things out. Each time you figure something out that you didn't know before, you grow from it and it builds your confidence. I still remember one of my first designs I did on my own as an intern included a water feature and a putting green. The company I worked for specialized in water features, so I had a pretty good idea and understanding of what it required to design the water feature, but the putting green, I don't even like golf. With some added research and some in-depth discussion with my mentor, who was the lead on the project, I came up with a design that the client loved, and it turned out great. The benefit I had in that moment in time that many solopreneurs just starting out don't is that I had the safety net of my mentor to ensure that I didn't present something to the client that either wouldn't work or wouldn't meet the expectation of an activity that I did not understand. As a solopreneur, there is no safety net to filter bad ideas or bad design before it gets to a client. It's all on you. That can open the door to fear. There are two sides to this though. The first is a healthy knowing of what projects are within your purview and which ones you should not take because they will be over your head. No one wants to open themselves up to liability on a project out of ignorance. The second side is to being self-aware of when you are feeling uneasy because you are pushing yourself. Is it a push in a healthy way, which will lead to the building and expansion of your knowledge and skills? Only you can answer that question. Know yourself and know your skills and don't be afraid to admit when you don't have the answer. Being confident in both your knowledge and lack of knowledge allows you to navigate situations without worry or stress. Also, don't be afraid to be wrong. I know it can be scary, but it is often the best way to learn and grow. The next time you encounter a similar situation, you will be that much wiser. And I have found personally, some of the most challenging, most painful situations are the ones that I've grown the most out of. I found that through discussion with fellow designers that most often it is the younger, newer designers that get in over their heads without knowing and take on projects they don't have the expertise to, while underestimating their resources and abilities to figure something out. That is not always the case though. The lack of safety net can be quite scary, but most of us have a great community of fellow designers that we can solicit advice and help from. All we have to do is reach out and ask. I will admit though, 
it is much easier to sit within your comfort zone and only take on projects that sit well within your realm of experience. Over time, that can become boring and you may lose the joy and excitement in your work that you once had without even realizing it. The dichotomy here is you can swing the pendulum the other way too and push too hard or have too many projects that are growth projects leading to anxiety and stress. It comes down to balance and self-awareness. Spring might not be the best time to take on multiple growth projects, but in the winter, if you're a little bit slower, you may have more time to delve into research without feeling taxed. With each project and each client, we build an internal catalog of experience and ideas. Even the most seasoned veteran designers still learn something on every project. When discussing a project with a client, they will be comforted to know that their project is similar to one you have worked with in the past. An example of this is a pool design project that I did a few years ago. It's actually in construction right now. My business was still fairly new at the time, and the client knew I had only been in business for myself for a short time. Through our discussion, though, I was able to tell them of past projects that I had worked on and previous pool designs that I had been a part of. I also was able to tell them some of the key design factors that would be necessary for their project. This gave them the comfort that I knew what I was doing. The type of pool that they wanted was something I had not done before, though. I let them know up front, very honestly, that I had not designed a fiberglass drop-in pool shell before, but that I felt confident in my resources and abilities to make sure any variances in design for this form of pool I could figure out. They not only appreciated my honesty, but felt comfortable that I already knew the gaps in my knowledge that would need to be filled for their project. Now that conversation was had with confidence, which led to a favorable outcome. If I had approached that conversation unsure of myself and wishy-washy in my ability to figure out what I didn't know or identifying what I didn't know to the client, the client would have undoubtedly picked up on it and likely would not have hired me. Oftentimes those things they might not realize, but if you're trying to hide something that you're unsure of, your energy will give it away every time. Clients pick up on it and they will act accordingly. Confidence will help you earn clients and build your project list. Confidence will also help you to lead your process through both design and installation. The more confidence a client has in you, which is very much based on the confidence that you exude, they will have more trust in you to act on their behalf and lead them through the best design decisions. Confidence when presenting to your clients and working with contractors will build your rapport and the trust others have in your abilities. If the design is well thought out, it will be much easier to be confident in presenting the design and answering questions. If you know why you made the choices you did and you created an intentional design, your clients will see, hear, and understand that. They will also trust in your recommendations more and allow you to make decisions on their behalf. This trust provides both freedom and efficiency. Sometimes a client will suggest a change or an addition to a plan that you know will not be a great choice. This can be challenging to resist the urge to retreat and say that the client is always right. I have found that these instances where this arises, 
I can offer to change it as they wish, but also provide them with an explanation of why I believe the original idea will work better and perform better in the long run. I found that this is the best way to navigate what could otherwise degrade your design. Sometimes it is a matter of reminding yourself or your client why they hired a professional in the first place. If they could design it better than you, they wouldn't need you. The number of projects you have seen and experienced in the subject matter vastly outweighs there, typically. We have all been in that awkward situation where a client railroads your process and tries to lead us through the design rather than the other way around. Although I think there are likely clients out there that will just be this way regardless, in most instances, I think it can be avoided. Contractors can do this to us too. This can happen for many reasons. It can be a relationship dynamic formed from assumptions around age, experience, or gender, but it can also spur from lack of confidence or trust or an overactive ego. I have found that most often it seems to be the ego thing, even though you may be self-conscious and think it's gender or age or something much more personal. Type A people, whether that is the contractor or your client, have a hard time shutting down their control mode or that leader mentality. Sometimes their ego is so large that they need to think the idea is theirs in the first place in order to like it. Maybe these clients fall outside of your ideal client profile and you actively work to sift them out of your work. But with awareness, you can use this in your favor. If someone is not following your lead through the design process, and it is not an ego-driven autopilot situation, it may be simply that you have not clearly communicated what the process is that they should be following. We know our process so well that sometimes we forget that it is not second nature to others. We explain it once and move on expecting them to follow blindly. At each milestone during both design and construction, I remind my clients of what the next steps in the process are. That way we are both on the same page, but just the simple act of doing this will establish that you are the one leading them through the process. If it is clear that you know the way, they will be more inclined to follow you. Clearly define and communicate your value. What unique skill set you bring to the table, what problems you solve, what outcomes do you achieve? Don't let fear define your value. Focus on serving and adding value to each step of the process. Lean into what you love about what you do. Focus on being of service and what problem you are solving for the client, and it won't feel like an egotistical rant when you have to have this discussion of what your value is to the process. Remember, the feedback you have received from past clients and use that as your proof. Each project you move through is likely a case study. If you ask for feedback or reviews from your clients and also do do your own assessments, not only of what went well, but what didn't, you will arm yourself with super valuable information to continually refine your process and your services to the point in which you can confidently tell anyone that they should hire you. Back to establishing yourself as the leader of the process. This can be really tricky sometimes. I especially see it among women in the industry, the construction industry as a whole, really. And most often it comes down to the installation phase of the project. 
women, generally speaking, tend to be more submissive and we back down when we should step forward sometimes. As a designer, sometimes we may feel overshadowed by the contractor. First, it is important to have a good relationship with your contractor and to have a mutual understanding of the roles each of you play in relating to the client. For me, I am the primary contact between the contractor and the client. This works in benefit to both of them, really to all of us. I can field questions from the client, allowing the contractor to keep focused on the work. And I can also answer questions from the contractor that the client might not know how to answer. Often things will come up that may require changes, and I am able to bring a valuable view by not only knowing the intent of the original design, the conversations that led to those design decisions, but also the on-site domino effect that the proposed changes may make. I position myself as the leader of the design process by stating the process and leading a client through. At each stage, especially concept stage, I maintain the leadership of the process by explaining my ideas and providing examples and references which showcase my experience. When it comes to the construction process, I position myself as the primary communicator through the installation. That way, I can not only ensure that my client gets the same level of customer service throughout the experience that they have had through the design, but it frees up the contractor to focus on the work without having to field questions and clarifications and emails. Most of the time, the questions that clients have during construction are either in relation to items that I have already addressed with the contractor or in needing clarification or reassurance of the process and what to expect. Although my contractor holds a contract directly with the client, I am typically the one presenting it. Each of the on-site meetings, I have a templated sheet outlining the items to address at that meeting that I flow through. For example, at the pre-construction meeting, I have a checklist that I print on duplicate paper, actually it's triplicate, outlining the scope of work. I review all of it with the client while the contractor joins us. I even have a section that denotes where the honey bucket will be placed to ensure that it won't be put next to the front door. I make sure that any questions are addressed and be sure to include the contractor into the conversation by asking them pointed questions. They already know these questions are coming because we do it each time and discuss prior to the meeting as well. I also let the clients know that if they have questions to call or email me and that if any of their neighbors have concerns, they can contact me as well. Upon completion of the project, I have a similar checklist that I walk through, reviewing the function of their irrigation and lighting systems, as well as what to expect over the upcoming seasons. My paperwork and contracts provided for this service also note that I work as their advocate so that they know it is my job to ensure that the process goes smoothly for them. The important thing to remember is positioning yourself as the lead on the process is to have clarity in each of your roles. My role as the designer is to focus on the design aesthetics, the client communication, and the vision to the contractor. I have the advantage of not being overwhelmed by the process to be able to see some of the little details that a client might miss until later ensuring that the changes that need to be made can happen efficiently and quickly 
rather than not noticing it until it's too late to change. That way, the contractor can focus on what they do best without being bogged down by questions, communication, or delays in waiting for answers on questions that I can easily field. I have built a great relationship of trust with my clients through the design process, and I continue to build that through the installation process. My relationships with my contractors also speak to my knowledge and skill to the client, ensuring them that they are in good hands. They both know that if it gets my sign off and approval, it's good. I am pretty picky. To be the leader of the process, you have to have the confidence to do so, especially with contractors. Contractors tend to be a dominant type A personalities. Again, generally speaking. And if you are not that type A person, it can feel more comfortable to step aside and let the contractor take the lead. If that is what works best for you, go for it. If you find yourself doing this unwillingly, you might need to put on your big girl pants and get out of your comfort zone and do it early in the process to keep the reins. If you do not show that you know the way and voice the plan and process, someone and likely the contractor will assume that lead position because it is a critical role in the process. If you find that you want to be in the lead and the contractor keeps taking that position, it is likely not that they are taking it from you, but that is, it is a role that you are not filling quickly enough in the process or not expressing your desire or ability to maintain that role. If you are working with a contractor that you do not already have an established relationship with, it is very valuable to have a pre-pre-construction meeting to establish how you both would like the process to run, best lines of communication, and establish roles and protocols for things that will come up like change orders, variables in schedule or material selections, and deliveries and client communication. The better you communicate upfront and ensure that your vision is clear to everyone, the more smoothly the process will go. Another podcast I listen to is Gary Vaynerchuk, and one thing I have heard him say multiple times that I think is fitting to this conversation is that when presenting or communicating your vision, it is important not to convince, but to have conviction. I think that really leads back to clearly communicating the process and roles within that process. And that goes for design decisions as well. Not convincing the client that it's a good idea, but having conviction that you know that you are presenting to them ideas that fit their needs, their goals, and their vision for their space. Remember, if it is clear that you know the way, they will be more inclined to follow you. Please reach out. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you do in your process. And especially if there's something you gain from this that you apply to your work that works well, I would love to know. To wrap up, I want to thank you for your time. I hope the ideas discussed today have left you feeling excited and energized. As I build both my business and my life, I value the support and feedback you provide. I would love for you to reach out to me to let me know what you think. 
give me ideas, or just to connect. Please don't forget to subscribe and also share with a friend. Until next time, go create something wonderful.